Welcome. I'm Tracy, the host of the Essential Stepmom Podcast, your source for information and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. There's a lot of material here for the dads too, because, well, because nobody talks to them about this stuff much, and it's about time that changed. There's nothing about making a step family work that comes naturally. It happens as a result of effort and actual skills that you learn and practice, you know, like tennis or chess. My approach to all of this is a bit, well, unconventional. I like to live outside the box. And if that describes you too, I think we're gonna be friends. Let me hear from you. My super private mailbox is info at essentialstepmom.com and I'm always up for a chat. Being a divorced parent is hard work. It was hard for me, even though I had a pretty decent relationship with my daughter's dad. We were those people who could spend Christmas Day all together, and still it was hard. For many of you, especially the dads, it's orders of magnitude harder than that. It's hell, actually. And who among us can say we've never dreamed of just packing it in and giving up? Like, you win. Do what you will. I can't make you follow the court order. I can't force you to do the right thing. I'm done trying. I hear you. And this episode is for you. I hope it will be a little balm on your soul. And if this mostly applies to your partner, feel free to share it with him. This was originally a live stream that I did for the Spectacular Stepmom Facebook group a while back. I didn't edit out all the bits where I'm referring to someone who made a comment in the chat box or where I shared my screen, but I don't think you'll miss the point. Here we go. Hey, good morning. Good morning, mostly dads, because this is one for the dads. Although there might be some stepmoms watching. I said that I would I said that I would share this on the public page, the essential stepmom slash undeletable dad page where anybody can go and you can share stuff from there too so if you're watching this there and you would like your partner to see it you're welcome to um, share the link from that page so what I wanted to talk about today is actually it's something that came up yesterday as I was in another group I was in a um, on a Facebook group uh, talking specifically about parental alienation and I was giving some words of encouragement there to a dad who was feeling really undone um, you know not having contact with his son and having gotten a really nasty text message from his son he was really hurting and I understand that and I I felt like sharing some words of encouragement and somebody else watching that thread got really upset with me and said, please stop giving advice like this. It's really harmful. I was pretty surprised about that because I've been doing this for a while and I haven't ever had anybody tell me that my advice was actually harmful. But as I looked into it a little bit, um, I realized that this was the the person who commented was a, a biological mom 
who had not had any contact with her own daughter in about 10 years. And that's some deep pain. So I understand that the, the message of, of holding on to hope that things can change, that that could feel hurtful for some people who they just don't have, they don't have it in them anymore to wait or to, um, to continue what feels like fighting. So we're gonna talk about different kinds of fighting um, because for sure fighting with yourself is in there it's in there too, right? In the mix. Um, but first and foremost, I think most of the dads who are listening are engaged in some kind of a fight with their ex over how much time they get to have, over whether the bio mom is turning the kids against you, uh, saying things to the kids that are inappropriate or completely untrue, engaging in brainwashing, engaging in bashing, even gaslighting of making things up uh, that you don't even know about to show you in a bad light. Um, so I just, I just wanna share a few words about how it was in my family and what I observed in the 14 years that I've been involved in a blended family, in a step family. Um, my husband was an extremely hands-on kind of dad in the years when he lived all the time with his kids. He was the one who cooked all the meals. He was doing the diapers. He was um, the one who was reading stories and doing flashcards and homework and all of that stuff. And when he left, um, he, he I, it's kind of a long story. He came to live here in the town where I live Hi there, whoever's watching. You can pop on and say hi. I'm I'm always happy when I know that there's somebody watching instead of me talking out to the empty emptiness. So um, he came to live in this town because he got a, a job in his area of specialization that paid actually three times what he was making before. Uh, and still it was a modest living, but uh, the, the only option available for him in the town where his wife and kids lived was a very, very minimally paying thing. So he had already moved here during the week. He was living here during the week and going home on the weekends. And after four years of that, um, you know, the, the marriage ended. And so he was phoning home to talk to his three kids every night, every single night. And after a while, they stopped answering the phone. And he knew that they were there and they were pretty little. They were like six, eight and 11 or something like that. He knew that they were there. They were always home, even if it was with a babysitter, even if their mom wasn't there. And it, the phone would ring and ring and ring and ring. It, that was back in the days when there was a house phone. Remember that? Like something attached to the wall. Um, and it would go to the answering machine. And so he would call again and it would ring and ring and ring and ring and go to the answering machine. And then he would call a third time and maybe on the third or fourth ring, somebody would pick up the phone and then he would have his nightly chat with his kids. This happened every single day for, I don't know, four or five years. It went on for a really, really freaking long time, okay? And let me tell you that there were many times in that period where he said, I'm done. 
I am done. If they don't want to talk to me, I it maybe it's better if I just leave them there with her. So he passed through some very, very, very trying moments where he actually said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to just let them be with her and not bother them and stay out of their life. So I totally, I totally sympathize with that kind of, I'm going to call it battle fatigue because it's exhausting. Uh, it, it's, there's only so much that your spirit can take at some point. It's exhausting. And I think that it's always okay to rest from that, to take a break from it so that you don't have to call every day or go every week and get shat on if that's what's happening to you. You don't have to be available to have your feelings hurt again and again and again and again. You don't have to be available to be treated badly. Um, but I think it's a different thing from giving up to, to, to say, even if you say, I'm done, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Some part of you knows that you're staying open to the idea that at some point in the future, you'll be ready to, to go at it again, to be, to be open again to, um, to reestablishing the, the, the correct bond and the one that, that your kids really wanna have. I watched an amazing documentary last night, which I will try to find and link for you because everybody should see it about parental alienation. It's all interviews with adults who had this experience as children of being kept completely away from one parent or the other. And it's really, it's really very dramatic. Um, the way they describe their own experience of it as children, right? And how confusing it was and how hurtful it was and how much they wanted to be in contact with the parent that they weren't allowed to talk about. So the other thing about battle fatigue that I want to mention is that it's completely appropriate to withdraw from what you're doing and to examine what you're doing to understand if it's really the best strategy to be using because maybe you would get better results with a different kind of strategy. And that's worth talking about. It's worth thinking about for sure. And you, you need some time and space in order to assess whether there might be another approach that will bring you better results. So um, it, it, there's a, a book that I was looking at recently. I'm sorry that I don't have the author's name in front of me. Um, I'll have to look it up and I'll put it in the comments underneath this so that I'm properly um, acknowledging the, the person who said it. But this author said, going to court is what you do when you're down to nothing but bad choices. Going to court is what you do when you're down to nothing but bad choices. Going to court is, <clears throat> in my estimation, the yeah, the end of the road. And if you haven't already tried a lot of a lot of alternative strategies, it might actually be time to pack in your court struggle. And that 
that is not at all the same as giving up on your kids, but you can be uh, putting an end to a certain type of, <clears throat> excuse me, a certain type of fight that isn't yielding any good results for you. I have to tell you another little story. Uh, when my husband was engaged in uh, legal stuff, you know, he he got a lawyer. We never he, he never went as far as going to court, but he got a lawyer, and I used to go with him to those meetings for moral support for sure. And to, you know, it, it's intimidating, as you probably already know, to talk to a lawyer and make sure you're getting it all in, you know, everything that you wanted to say and make sure that you understand completely everything that uh, that the lawyer is telling you in terms of interpretation of your rights and what the other what the other lawyer is having to say, all that kind of stuff. But I used to be the one who felt like his lawyer was not aggressive enough. And I would sit there in the meetings going, but look at that letter. Aren't you mad about that? Like, why don't you go after them? Like, this is terrible. You can't let, you can't let that lawyer talk to my husband that way. How can she get away with this? Like, I was the one who was all like, you know, panties in a knot. Like, I was really upset in those days about like, you need a more aggressive lawyer because this is not okay what's happening. And like, this is against the law what she's doing. And how can we not um, rescue your kids from this situation? And this lawyer, bless his heart, I know now in retrospect, was a really, really good lawyer. And he was recommended to me actually in a kind of weird way by my ex-husband who had not used him, but my ex-husband remarried a woman who was in court battles with her ex, like just to show you how many, <laughs> uh, what do they call it, you know, um, uh, I forget it, what it is, we, grades of separation, you know, how you can meet somebody who's connected to you in a funny way. But anyway, he, this lawyer was recommended and I have to say he was wonderful because he really, really discouraged my husband from doing anything that would lead inevitably to going to court. He just kept saying, it's way too much money and it's so uncertain. Like it's just a, um, you know, it's a, it's a crap shoot. You never know which kind of judge you're gonna get, what their impression is, how they're gonna apply the law. It is completely, like throwing darts to to figure out whether it's worth the effort, whether you're gonna get what you think, whether your story's gonna be appreciated. And a lot of people just wanna have their story heard and they want the judge to point a finger at the other party and say, you can't do that, or that's terrible how you're treating this person. And it doesn't work like that. That's not how court works. They're not interested in your story. And you should only be interested in your chances of getting what you need. So <clears throat> court is a, you know, the court system, the family court system is an important strategy where there's danger to your kids involved. Obviously, you know, it's part of what you do as an adult to protect your children. If there are legal avenues that you should be exploring to get them out of danger. And that would obviously also involve things like the police and the child protective services or or whatever those things happen 
and <clears throat> when you need them, it's appropriate to um, to utilize that. Uh, it could be appropriate to go to court in a situation where you are getting zero contact. <clears throat> Pardon me, I got a frog in my throat here. Just a sec. Um, if your ex is really not allowing you to contact the kids at all, it might be appropriate to at least put some uh, legal motions. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to court, but sometimes an official letter from a lawyer is enough to, you know, light a fire under somebody to change what they're doing. So <clears throat> there could be reasons to do that. Obviously, where finances are a big part of the picture, you know, court is designed to uh, make decisions really about, about property. And it's not at all designed to, to come to some kind of consensus, which is what's so important where the, <clears throat> where the long-term relationships are the really the most important thing. You know, the, the court system is an adversarial one. It, it's based on the idea that Two people are um, against each other's best interests. And when there are kids in the middle of that, it's impossible. The court system, the, the criminal, the, the justice system, even the civil justice system is not set up to consider that. Children are not property of either parent. So I like to think of <clears throat> the idea of custody as a kind of paper crown, actually, uh, that very often our ego is so caught up in the idea of custody, of having custody, and the nerve of, you know, your ex for wanting full custody to cut you out of the picture. And I have to tell you that there is nothing about full custody that implies in any way that the other parent is cut out of the picture. So I think it really behooves us to learn a little more about, about the meaning of custody and of what you can still get, what you, what you must still get, even if the other party has so-called full, full physical custody. Um, I recently talked to a dad who gave up his 50-50 custody in court and got in exchange much better visitation than what he was actually getting before because his wife, his ex-wife was not respecting what was in their agreements. And having gotten full custody, now there was a new agreement giving her full custody, but she had an obligation to make sure that he was in a constant contact with his kids that led to a much, much better situation for him in terms of his relationship. So I think that that custody, unless we're talking about, you know, about danger um, or, you know, uh, like moving so far away that there's a high likelihood that it could devolve into zero contact. I think that um, custody is much less important than contact because contact is what leads you to connection and connection with your kids is the 
important thing. That's what you have to keep in front of you. The other thing that you want is to have influence because influence is what's going to lead you to have impact in the lives of your kids. If you are a person of influence in their world, you can make the impact that you want to have in your lives. And connection and impact are why you're a parent. So as far as the, the giving up, like when is it time to give up? I just want to remind you of a, of a cool story that happened a couple of years ago. I'm going to just share my screen here. Um, let's see if it's going to let me do this. Okay. Um, do you remember this? Do you remember this story? <clears throat> um, this story was huge and it was just happened about two and a half years ago. Um, it's not going to play this movie for me. Sorry, it's just a picture. But um, there were these 12, 12 little boys from a soccer team and their coach who got stuck in a cave, big, big honking long cave. They were miles from the entrance when they found them, like miles inside a cave, if you can wrap your head around that. And they went in to explore and there was a thunderstorm and it was the start of a monsoon and the whole thing flooded um, and they couldn't get them out. And th the reason that I'm reminding you about this story is because, well, not only that it, it took almost two weeks to even find them there, but that <clears throat> the divers who found them had been swimming in the dark. The water was too dark to even see your hands in front of your face. And they swam along like that again and again and again and again. And on the, the occasion that they found them, they had been swimming for four and a half hours to the limit of where they could possibly have enough oxygen in their tanks to get back. And one diver actually died. Um, trying to find them, a professional Navy SEAL diver. It wasn't a joke to keep looking. And I keep thinking, what would have happened if, if someone had said, well, look, four hours, you've been gone for four hours. It's enough. They can't be anywhere. Like, it's too far. They could not have, <clears throat> they couldn't have made it this far. They would all have drowned by now. Uh, maybe three and a half hours is enough. That's as far as you have oxygen to get back. No, they took extra tanks and said, we're not stopping, you know? Like, what if they stopped after four hours and 15 minutes? The, the guy in the movie that I watched last night had been kept away from his dad for 20 years. And he said now... He has a relationship with his father and he's completely cut off his mother because he's so angry at her for having kidnapped him. He, this kid was actually kidnapped away from the US and his mother moved him to Scotland. And the dad came to Scotland to try to get him back and engaged in the court system, whatever. But uh, the mom and the grandparents were just too tricky and they would keep running away every time he got close to them. So he was really angry. Um, 
And one other little story that I'll relate is a woman who I interviewed doing in the course of my research about parental alienation. She said that when her parents split up, uh, she was a teenager and she was really, really angry at her dad because she believed the mom that, you know, it was all the dad's fault and that he shouldn't have, um, he shouldn't have left them and whatever. She said, my dad tried to call me every week for four years and, and I never picked up the phone. I never answered even once in four years. And she said, when he finally stopped calling, it broke my heart. And that made a huge impression on me because I understood that just reaching out to her was keeping him in connection with her. It was all that she could allow herself to accept, which sounds kind of weird, you know, like how much rejection can, you know, can you throw at a person without, like, what did she want him to do? But kids don't have an expectation that, that a parent needs something from them. You know, parenting is very much a one-way, a one-way street. And the, the rules of interpersonal relationships, I, I don't want to say that they don't apply. I guess that's not what I mean. But, but it's not in the, it's not in the, in the world of a child to imagine that, that there's something reciprocal about their, their relationship with their dad. So the other thing I want to point out is that it, it, this is an article from Wikipedia. It says an estimated 10,000 people contributed to the rescue effort. 10,000 people contributed to rescuing these 12 boys plus their coach including more than 100 divers, representatives from about 100 government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, and numerous volunteers. Equipment included 10 police helicopters, seven police ambulances, more than 700 diving cylinders of oxygen. So, um, The other part of that story that's really important to point out is that those kids survived for 12 or 14 days in the dark without food, being cold and wet and scared of dying, of course, uh, because how long do you wait to get rescued before you give up? That's another important question, right? By chance, by luck, by the universe, whatever you want to say, the, their, their soccer coach, this 25-year-old who was with them, had been trained as a monk in the way that they do in, in, uh, in Eastern countries, that you go at age five or six or seven to a monastery to be trained as a monk. So he had spent 10 or 15 years in a very, very deep study of meditation and a Buddhist philosophy of some kind. I, I have no idea which, which kind of uh, tradition he was in, but, uh, but he taught them to meditate. This coach taught those 12 wet, scared boys in the dark to meditate. And all the rescuers said when they found them, they were calm and smiling. And I think that that's really huge. It's a testimony to what goes into 
sur surviving, surmounting, triumphing. Tri triumphing, is that a word? I guess it is. In this kind of demanding situation, um, you need some tools of personal growth that you might not have access to at the moment. And it would be important to look into those. They would be, of course, meditation and mindfulness, 100%. They would also be coaching, counseling, personal therapy, yoga, um, whatever it might be. And certainly if you're involved in, in, if you're watching this inside the group, the one for the dads group, then you're getting some community, which is a huge, huge source of support. And I think it's really important to acknowledge how much you need to um, hang out with other guys who are in the same position that you're in um, just for, for fellowship, if not for actual advice. Okay. And the idea that, that these, these people had 10,000 helpers working on getting them out uh, that we don't, we don't, entertain the idea of rescuing children all by ourselves. When your child is trapped in a situation, it is okay to reach out and get every effing kind of help that you can lay your hands on. So if I can be that kind of help to you, and I believe that I can, I hope that you'll reach out to me. If nothing else, then for a free conversation, because I do that, I would love to talk to you about whether in fact I can help you to, to rescue your relationship with your kids from the effects of bashing, bad-mouthing, brainwashing, alienation. I would love to talk to you about that and I hope that you'll reach out. So I have a resource. Um, I have a resource that you can get it is called my quick start guide to restorative parenting. Restorative parenting is the method that I've developed and that I teach inside my Undeletable Dad Academy. Um, and I, this quick start guide is free and it gives you some, I think, very valuable ideas to get started. So I'll encourage you to just hit that link and download the free guide. You'll get onto my email list, my email community, where I reach out about once a week with a email of support and tips. If you would like to just go ahead and book your free call with me, which everyone in our group gets a free 20 minute call, I'm really, really serious about that. And I'm happy to do it because I would love to connect with you. Then just send me a personal message in the group and say, how do we get in touch? And I'll set it up for you. Okay. So thanks for watching. I hope that this was helpful. Put any comments in and I'll definitely be coming in to answer your questions. Take care, enjoy the day. You can probably tell I really love that story about the Thai soccer team. As far as feel good, total miracle news stories go, that one was right up there with the guy who landed the jumbo jet on the Hudson River and got everyone out. Do you remember that? I just want to cry when I see that stuff. It's okay to feel like you want to give up, but miracles happen all the time. And you never know when one is just about to pop into your world. It's also okay to get support. 
and to learn some new strategies that might just move the needle for you when nothing else is working. That's the work that I do, and I'd be pleased to do it for you too, or your partner, or both of you together. Give me a shout at info at essentialstepmom.com, and we can get started right away because there's no stopping the clock when it comes to kids. I actually sent out a letter to my email community this week, which you can totally join, by the way, saying that 95% of the time you'll ever spend with your kids happens by the time they're 18. That's a wake-up call, isn't it? You can't control everything, but you can choose to take the best steps every day so you know that you're drawing your kids closer to you all the time, even when they're not with you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. The Essential Stepmom Podcast is produced by me, Tracy Poisner, in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. You can get more stepmom tips and an awesome community over at the Spectacular Stepmom Facebook group. And there's even a group for the dads. It's called One for the Dads. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes for you. My website is EssentialStepmom.com and I'm constantly scanning my super secret inbox, info at EssentialStepmom.com. See you next week. Thank you.